Good morning, good morning. Sounds like everybody came ready to worship this morning with all your conversation, encouraging each other and the Lord this morning. Well, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. If this is your first time with us, we're especially glad you're with us. We trust that you felt welcome. My name is Tom, and it's my privilege to uh, worship with you through song together. And so just want to remind you that we serve an incredible God. He's indescribable. And Jesus is the first, firstborn of many brethren. He is the one that reigns supreme. Everything was created by him and for him, and that's who he worship. And he deserves all of our worship this morning that we can bring him. So I invite you to stand and let's worship King Jesus this morning. Free. 
talking to a few of them, but there's someone someplace in this room that you don't know. It's your job to seek and find them out, even if they're across all the chairs. So greet each other this morning, and then you can be seated. We did this last week. Marco, now you know everybody. Super excited to be able to celebrate our Sunday and be able to worship God. We've got a lot going on in our worship service this morning. And one of the things that God does is he moves people according to his will and plans and says, hey, look, you're here for a while and then I want you to go over here. And we have a family that is going to be going over here. Actually, they're going a long way away to North Dakota. Frank and Jan Robeson are going to be leaving and starting a new church plant. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> well, who knows? But Frank and Jan are going to be moving to um, North Dakota. And so we want to uh, pray over them. In fact, I didn't even talk to the guys, but Tony and Fred, you guys are here, right? So why don't you guys come up and join us? We lay hands and pray over them. We want to send people out in the power of the Lord. And as Frank and Jan go out, um, they have a moving team, Dan and, and Michael. And I think on Wednesday, right, Frank? On, the Andersons are driving. You got the Andersons? The Andersons are driving and pulling a Volkswagen. So, uh, Dan Larson is pulling a cargo trailer. Frank's driving a moving van. And I'm following in a 20-year-old truck. They're <laughs> having lunch in Wallace with a friend of mine from high school. Excellent. I'll up with them in Livingston. <laughs> So they're going to be they're going to be heading out. So they've got a whole caravan that's going out. But we want to uh, pray over them and and just send them out and the Lord's blessing, yeah, and connect with them and and see what God's going to do for them as they go and minister to family and such. So let's pray. God, we thank you for Frank and Jan and the ministry here, the the many years of just being able to partner in ministry and to be family. Lord, we thank you for all that you've provided for us through them and and for through us to them. 
as they go and they spend time now with family and be grandparents and, and just all of that. We pray blessings over them. We ask for traveling mercy that you would keep them safe. May your hand be over all the vehicles and not have any mechanical problems. Lord, we pray for those divine appointments that you have for them in this new mission field that you've set for them. And may we hear good things of the things that are going on. May they connect with a good church family there and find their, their spiritual needs met also. We praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you. You bet. This is also uh, what we would call the Mission Sunday. It's the last Sunday of the month where we focus our attention for the next month for missionaries. And often we will put a picture up or we'll read something or we'll have a video. But today we have actually a live re representation of Pete and Charity Rogers that are here with us from Ethnos Mozambique. 360 is a ministry that supports a number of different missions in Africa. And Pete and Charity are going to come up. They're going to share a little bit more. We had the privilege, gosh, how many years? Was it five years ago? I think about five years ago, we, we, there was three of us that went out and we were able to visit and, and just support them. And, and I got to tell you, the work, it's a hard work. Um, Pete is a, a, a master of many trades and Charity is an encourager par excellence to be able to go in and to support all of the work that is there in a number of different ways. And life is changing for them. They're here on furlough, um, but we need to know how to pray for them effectively. So if you guys want to come up and, and share... Let's give Pete and Charity a warm welcome, huh? Um, good morning. It's so nice to be here with you guys, and um, we just really want to thank you for your faithful prayers and support. I usually don't cry, so um, it just it's meant a lot um, the last two and a half years. As for the whole world, has been difficult. Um, it, it was challenging for us to stay in country. A lot of our coworkers left and went back to their home country. And, um, we often ask God, like, why do you have us here? Why, you know, and, um, I'll just share a quick story. Um, a few months into COVID, it was, um, about July, we got a phone call from one of our coworkers out in the village, very remote, and they said, our son, our seven-year-old son just passed away very unexpectedly. And um, I said, Pete, we need to go visit them. We need to go be a support. And within 24 hours, we had put food together and bought supplies for them, and we went out and we were able to be there with them. And um, that was very difficult, but that was a confirmation that this is why I have you here. And there were several other things in the last two and a half years that just, that's why I have you here. And, and what we do is just logistical support to our village teams. They're out there um, translating the Bible, teaching literacy, and planting churches. And we live in a city, and we help with any logistical support they need. Yeah, but it's really cool to be here, like, and so many new faces. So uh, I do want you to know a little bit more about us. We do work with an organization called Ethnos 360 in Africa, in Mozambique, which is Southeast Africa. And what our organization does is translate and teach the scriptures. You saw a literacy class in the video being taught at one point, 
And we've got a Bible outside, one of the finished Bibles out there for you to see if you want to look at it. And we go out to those village locations where people are speaking the local languages and they just need help. They just need electrical things resolved or plumbing things resolved, carpentry, whatever it is, masonry. I go out there and Charity goes out there and she is totally the type of person who just cares for the the ladies who are out there and and makes food and, and just lets them have a break. And then I hopefully am a helpful person in terms of getting a lot of those honeydew lists done that they're not doing. <laughs> so I, I really enjoy doing that. And uh, the other thing we do is, is security. There's a lot of jihadist-type activity in Africa. And that's the new role I'm stepping into. I've always been a security person for our organization, but I'll be the new security person for all of Africa. So I would really appreciate your prayers because it is so overwhelming. I can't even begin to explain how out of my element I feel not understanding what's really going on in all the different countries. It's just a huge learning curve to try to figure that out and to be a blessing and to take care of people and make sure they're safe, make sure as an organization we're putting things in place that help us make wise decisions but also help us take as much risk as we can and stay as long as we can so that we can teach the Word of God, we can disciple people, we can see New Testament churches established in places where God is not known. But uh, we'll be out in the foyer after the service if you want to talk to us. We are around till Tuesday morning. We would love to get to know you, and the only way that happens usually is if people come out and say, hey, I want to have coffee with you or I want to have lunch with you. Can you make some? We are happy to do that. That's why we're here. It's why we take a couple days and we don't just come on Sunday. So if you want to meet up with us, please let us know. If you want to just talk to us in the foyer, that's fine too. We would love to get to know you guys. Thanks for giving us a little bit of time to do this. Cool. We're going um, to pray for Pete and Sharon. And I can tell you from, from our trip, it is a thing. You, you think about um, going out on mission and having been there they are out there in some of the places they go it takes two days sometimes to for them to be able to get out to some of some of these um works that are happening throughout the area and it is it is super dangerous super dangerous and so you know it's a big responsibility um for example if someone gets sick lots of times they have to fly them out of country to be able to get them to a hospital. And, and so Pete's going to be working with that, just make sure visas and all that stuff. It's, it's, it's a big work, and it's a draining work. So I'm going to ask that you stand and just join with me as we, by extension, lay hands on them and just pray over them. So let's do that. So, Father, we thank you for Pete and Charity. and Lord, there's a lot going on uh, they, with, with their kids and their kids becoming adults. And, and being here in country, and, and, and some of the kids are going to stay here in the U.S. and, and, and are, are, are at missionary school, and they're in country and moving, and all of the different challenges. Lord, it, it is a hard work, but it's a heart work. And Lord, there's, a, there's that tension that's there. So Lord, I pray that you would empower them, that Holy Spirit, you would fall fresh upon them, giving them that confidence of your presence. Holy Spirit, we pray for your peace that passes all understanding, that guards their hearts and their minds in this work. 
Lord, may you give to them wisdom, discernment, understanding, that you would meet all of their, their physical needs, their emotional needs, and spiritual needs. I pray for, for believers to rally with them, that they can lean into those spiritual relationships to empower one another. Lord, as, as they're in that work, and, and while they're here, may they be refreshed and empowered, and, and may you give to them uh, just that, that confidence of, of your presence. So, Lord, as, as they're here, may they know they're loved and encouraged, and, and take that same love and encouragement with them next March when they go back. We praise you and we thank you for the privilege of partnering in ministry with them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys. Well, let me pray as, uh, as we collect this morning's uh, worship gifts that, that we've brought before the Lord and, and our hearts and get ready to study God's Word. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for all that you're doing. Lord, we know that uh, you're at work. It's a great work. And Father, we want to honor you with everything that we have. And even this offering, it's the first fruit of that which you've given to us. God, we want to praise you and thank you for this privilege of being able to be in your presence, to worship you. Lord, we thank you for your provision for our lives. May you receive this offering and our praises as intended. A gift to our King. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you're giving this morning, let's continue to worship God through song as we thank him for all that he's done for us.
He is the exalted one over all. From heaven's throne, you came to us and set your heart upon the cross. We'll never know the sacrifice you made. For all our sin and all our shame, you took the names, you took our place. No one else could do what you had done. One name is higher, one name is stronger than any grave, than any cross, Christ exalted over all. From the grave where death would die, you rose God, to be here in your presence. Thank you. Jesus, you are over all. As we started this, this service and as we go into your message, Jesus Christ, you are over all. 
You have been given that name that is above every name. And we know that one day every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus, you are Lord. Today, we choose to bow our knee at your footstool this morning and declare you, Jesus, Lord of Lords and King of Kings, Jesus, you are Lord. Thank you for being Lord in this place. Thank you for caring for each one of us in the unique way that only you know how we need to be taken care of. And so we lean on those everlasting arms. We lean into our King and our Savior this morning. Holy Spirit, teach us God's Word. We desire to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ so that He can continue to rule and reign without any hindrances in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Continue our study through Luke's account of the early church and the growth of the early church. And as you're looking up that passage, we're going to be in Luke 14, 1 to 28. i got a question for you. Have you ever felt like you had a target on your back? So a couple of you have. It, it's an uneasy feeling where you feel like you've been targeted. And it's one thing to be targeted by people that just don't like you because they just don't like you. But have you ever been targeted or felt like you were targeted for doing the right thing? For speaking the truth, especially when it comes to the truth of God's Word. Living as a, as a Christ follower in a world that is antagonistic against God is difficult. And God has called us to mission. And in mission, it means that we're going to go out, we're going to share the, the gospel message, we're going to evangelize. But if you do that, you're putting yourself out there. And speaking up for God, taking a stand for God's word, being able to share the truth is going to provoke people to persecute you, to, to go against you. I don't like persecution personally. I want people to like me. I, you know, I, I don't go out of my way to try to make people enemies most of the time. No. But, you know, you look at this whole concept of, of sharing the gospel, and it's tough. And that's what we're called to do as a Christ follower. If you ever want to know what your mission in life, first and foremost, is to share Jesus with people, to evangelize. That's your calling. God keeps you here. You know, I often think, well, God, when I'm saved, if, if I'm saved and I have eternal life, just wouldn't it be just like so much better if, okay, Lord Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I know that you died on the cross for my sins. I've put my faith and trust in you. And in doing so, then I have new life. Okay, I'm ready to go. And he said, nope. Now that you understand that, you go share this message with other people who didn't know. Well, I don't want to do that. That's scary. I looked up some reasons why people don't share the gospel. Five in particular. There's a bunch of others, I'm sure. But one of the reasons is people think that evangelism is the pastor's job. 
or some professional missionary. Not my job. Well, no, it is. Some people say, well, I don't have time to share the gospel. God gives you 24 hours a day, 365 days out of the year. You can find time. And do you realize it's such a privilege to be part of somebody else's change of trajectory for eternity? That God has given you that time? I don't feel qualified. Guess what? It's not on you. The Holy Spirit will empower you to share the gospel. No one will listen to me. Guess what? Not your problem. You speak and let God do the rest. Lastly, the fear of rejection and retaliation. Who's greater? The person you're sharing with or God? There's five reasons. I debunked all the reasons. Now you're all going to be missionaries, right? We think about this, and and being a Christ follower, people will think, well, I want to become a Christian because I want the good life. I want the easy life. Oh, no, 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 no. The minute you accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, and you become that person that can share the gospel with other people, you have now a target on you. And that target is placed there by Satan who says, I want to stop this person at all cost. I want to hinder them within this. Now, say, well, you know, I wish somebody would have told me that in the disclaimer. Become a Christian and then be persecuted. I wish I would have known that. Well, Jesus did tell us that. In John chapter 15, verses 18 to 20, Jesus says, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. And if you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, and I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. And remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And if they kept my word, they will keep yours also. In other words, the world is going to hate you. But you are called to love them. Paul and Barnabas, as we are coming in to our message this morning in the context of this passage, they're moving from Antioch, Pisidia, further into the mission field, to Lyconia, to specifically to Lystra and to Derby, and, and the persecutions are going to become greater, much more difficult. If you remember from Antioch, they were rejecting him and they shook the dust off the feet as he was leaving because they didn't want to hear the gospel from the Jews that were against them in the synagogue. And so he'll go to Iconium, which is down in, in Galatia area, and he will start to share the gospel with that. But Paul and Barnabas are going to experience some increasing persecution as the ministry is growing. When you first get saved, you're not really all that much of a threat. But as you grow in the faith and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and you experience his power, you become a greater threat. And the more you step up your evangelism, the greater the threat. So what does Satan do? He brings his opposition against you to quiet you. It's been said, the devil doesn't persecute those who aren't making a godly difference in the world. He goes after the kingdom workers. If you're not receiving persecution, then perhaps your message is not loud enough about the gospel. And we think about the early church and what was their reward for sharing the gospel. Consider this. As a reward for their efforts, 
Those of the early church were beaten, stoned to death, thrown into the lions, tortured and crucified. Every conceivable method was used to stop them from talking. Satan threw everything at the early church. Did it stop the Word of God? No. No, because God is greater and more powerful. And we are benefactors of that. So this morning, we're going to learn how to persevere through hardship. I'm going to ask you to stand as we read God's Word. We give respect to it. Acts chapter 18, 1 to 20, 28. I know it's a rather long passage. If you, if you can't stand that long, that's, that's okay. Chapter 14, verse 1 says, In Iconium they entered the synagogue of the Jews together, and they spoke in such a manner that a large number of people believed, both Jews and Greeks. But the Jews who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. And therefore they spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord, who was testifying to the word of His grace, granting that signs and wonders be done in their hands. But the people of the city were divided, and some sided with the Jews, and some with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews, with their rulers to mistreat and to stone them, they, being Paul and Barnabas, became aware of it, and fled to the city of like cities of Lyconia, specifically Lystra and Derbe, and the surrounding region, and they were continued there to preach the gospel. Now at Lystra, a man was sitting who had no strength in his feet, lame from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man was listening to Paul as he spoke, who, when he had fixed his eyes on him and had seen that he had faith to be made well, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he leaped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they raised their voice, saying in Lyconian language, The gods must become like men and have come down to us. And they began calling Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Now the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside of the city, brought in oxen and garland to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice to the crowds. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their robe and rushed out into the crowd crying and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you and preach the gospel to you that you should turn from the vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that's in them. And in generations gone by, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways. And yet, he did not leave himself without a witness. In that, he did good and gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, saying to your hearts with food and gladness, even saying these tidings with difficulty, they restrained the crowds from offering sacrifice to them. But the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having won over the crowd, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. But while the disciples stood around him, he got up, entered the city, and the next day he went away with Barnabas to Derbe. And then they preached the gospel to that city, and had made many disciples, and they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Now when they had appointed elders for them in the church, they prayed with fasting and they commended them to the Lord in whom they believed. Then they passed through Pisidia, came to Pamphylia, and when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia, and from there they sailed to Antioch, from which they had been commended 
to the grace of God for the work which they had accomplished. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all the things that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they spent a long time with the disciples. May God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated. So, you're going to be an evangelist. You want to be an evangelist. You want to share the gospel. One of the first things that we see in verses 1 through 7 is this. Sharing the gospel is going to have a mixed results. Not everybody that you share the gospel with is going to be saved. Should that stop you from sharing the gospel? Absolutely not. Paul and Barnabas had gone to Antioch, Pisidia on this trip. Now, I've got a map to orient yourself because you're going, I've never been there. We're actually going to be flying out next Sunday, and we're going to be touring. We're going to land up here to um, Istanbul, and we're going to tour these churches. So we're going to be in this whole area, actually, from Sardis all the way to Laodicea, and all the way over into this area. Paul and Barnabas landed in Perga. They went up to Antioch in Pisidia, and there they preached in the synagogue. And if you remember, some of them believed and some of them didn't, and they pushed them out of the city, and Paul and Barnabas shook the dust off. Well, what did they do? They went out into this area. This region is known as Galatia, hence the Galatian letter to the Galatians. And they went to Iconium here, and then from there to Lystra, and then over to Derby. Tarsus is right here. And what we're going to see is they go to the city here in Iconium. Now, in Iconium, Verses 1 through 3, they entered the city into the synagogue of the Jews and spoke with such a manner. Now, what did Paul do? He was going to the synagogue. Why? Because the gospel was to be presented to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. Why? Because God had promised to his son in the faith, Israel, that the gospel would go to them first. It was God's intention that the Jews would be the light unto the nations, that they would take and evangelize Gentiles. That's what God wanted. Unfortunately, the Jews were failing to do that, but that didn't change God's plan. He wanted his own people. And you think, well, he went to Antioch, Pisidia, and the Jews hated him there. If the Jews don't want to hear it, then forget him. Paul never gave up on his own people. He never gave up on the Jews. Which is a powerful, powerful message of the fact that God never gives up on sharing the gospel with those that reject. And He wants. God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. God will continue to bring that gospel forward. Paul wouldn't give up on the Jews. And if you have children or family members that are unbelievers, don't give up on them. Keep sharing the gospel with them. If they don't want to listen... And if they don't come to faith, they will never have the excuse of saying, nobody ever told me. You'll be able to share the gospel clearly with them, and you should. So Paul would go to the synagogue and give them that first opportunity. Another reason is, Jesus is a Jew. The gospel message starts with a messianic message. They were the ones that should have heard. So, And there was Gentiles that were there, God-fearers. And so from the foundation, they already have a common language of Jesus being the Messiah. Have you ever heard the term, pick the low-hanging fruit? That's what he's doing. If you're going to evangelize, find that common place to share Jesus with them. It's much harder to share the gospel with somebody who doesn't have a clue anything about God. And so Paul would, Paul would go there and 
seek to pick that low-hanging fruit. And as a result of that, the text tells us many were coming to faith. God had appointed people in Iconium to come to faith. Yet there was a group of people that were antagonists. Understand that when you evangelize, when you share the gospel, it is not going to be without opposition. In verse 3 it says, it talks about, 2 and 3, it talks about these disbelieving Jews. That word, literally, in, in Greek, is apatheo, ap, where we get our word apathetic from, but it's even more so. It literally means to be disobedient or to reject the message. These, these are people that heard and completely reject the message. So much so that they were poisoning the people. They became the antagonists. There is a kind of unbeliever that doesn't just say, well, I just don't believe. There's a kind of unbeliever that says, not only do I not believe, but I am going to work super hard to make sure nobody else listens to you. I am going to undermine your message. I am going to work really hard to go behind the scenes and discredit you and discredit the message as much as I can because I hate you and the message. That's these Jews. And so they went around to the crowd during this time while they were preaching and they, note, embittered the people. The word is ekakasso. This idea of embitter means to literally poison the minds. They were poisoning the mind. Now I know that never happens in our culture today. We don't have people that spit out and speak out poison to poison the minds of others. But if it ever happens, at least you know the enemy and what the role is. And it is demonic. Understand, it comes from the pit of hell. To poison the minds of people, to keep them from coming to faith. But the text tells us that Paul and Barnabas persevered in this environment. They didn't quit. So you have these antagonists on one side that are poisoning the minds of people. You've got Paul and Barnabas that are preaching boldly. And notice boldly means in the power of the Holy Spirit. Preaching boldly. And they would continue to preach boldly. But it would even provoke these Jews even that much more. And you would say, well, why is this city so divided then? Shouldn't we all come together? Let's all have a kumbaya moment. Let's compromise the message so that we can all get along. No. The gospel message will be divisive. Because it is coming against Satan. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, 51 to 53, Do you suppose that I came to grant peace on the earth? I tell you, no. But rather division. For from now on, five members of one household will be divided. Three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother. In other words, Jesus was said, I have come to speak truth and that truth is going to divide people. And we've got to understand that God's truth will be divisive. Because it is bringing light into darkness and creating that separation. People want to live in the grays, don't they? People want to live in this like 
place where we all just get along and, hey, you know, that's your truth and I have my truth and, you know, let's just kind of agree to disagree. No. We've got to understand that the truth of the gospel is this, that man is born into sin and the wages of sin is death. And there's a free gift that God gives, which is eternal life through His Son, Jesus. And if you don't accept that free gift, you will remain dead, separate from God, for all eternity. It's a life and death decision. Paul and Barnabas continued to preach that gospel. Verses 5 through 7, they attempt to, to preach the gospel when they attempted, was made by the Gentiles and the Jews to return the stone them. So this poisoning overrode the gospel message. And Paul and Barnabas got wind of the fact that they were getting ready to stone him. And they said, mm, it's time for us to go. Why? Did they not want to die for their faith? How does dying for your faith in Iconium keep the gospel going on your calling? They were called to share the gospel. Not called to be a martyr. They weren't done with the work yet. And so they realized, this is not a place where I need to be. Now, you've got to understand, this is not a religious Jewish stoning, because how do we know that? There were Gentiles involved. It was a mob. Have we ever seen in Portland what happens when a mob gets riled up? Mindless drones following a small group of people that are doing one thing, destroying as much as they can and creating anarchy. Paul and Barnabas says, we're done. So Paul and Barnabas leave Iconium, and then I'll show you where they go to their next place. So they're leaving Iconium, and they go south about 60 miles down to Lystra, which was the next city. Now, this next city that they go to, this is a little bit different than Iconium. If you look at verse 8, it says, and in Lystra, they, they're going down and they continue to preach, in the region of Lyconia, which ends up being Galatia, uh, Iconium, I'm sorry, Lystra would be founded, refounded as a city in 1885 as a modern village. But it, it was a lost city. They're going down and they're preaching as they go. Why? Because that was their calling to go on mission. And within this, they're going down and they're coming into Lystra. Verse 8, a man was sitting who had no strength in his feet. And, and know what Dr. Luke, Luke was a doctor, a physician, and he's very detailed on his information. He was lame from his mother's womb who had never walked. So this man was lame and had never walked. Now, had we heard an account maybe earlier in Acts about an apostle coming across a guy who had never walked? Remember Peter at the gate? Beautiful. So this man was there. Paul comes in and he's preaching. Now, what's interesting about this guy is this. He's a beggar, and he's along this road. Verse 9 says, He was listening to Paul as he spoke, and when he had fixed his gaze on him. Now, we'll pause there for a minute. What do we find Paul not doing in Lystra? He doesn't go to a synagogue. But if synagogues were where Paul would normally go first, what does that tell us? There's no synagogue in Lystra. In order for a Jewish synagogue to be in a city, they had to have at least... Ten Jewish men of adult age. There was no synagogue here. Which tells us that it was a completely pagan city. Interesting enough, Lystra is the town that Timothy is from. 
Acts 16.1 tells us Timothy was from Lystra. He would have been witnessing and part of this during that time. Timothy had a Jewish mother and a Roman father. This was a Roman colony that was paganized, that worshipped Zeus and Hermes and such things that were there. So he's going into this completely foreign land and he's street preaching. Now he's street preaching and he comes across this guy and as he's preaching there's this lame guy that is there and he is intent on the message. There is a kind of listening and then there is a kind of like focused listening. He is focused on every word within this. And Paul recognized this man's attention much more than the others. But here we see a spiritual gift that the Holy Spirit gave to, call, gave to Paul. And it's the spiritual gift of knowledge. It's when you know something that you wouldn't normally know on your own, but the Holy Spirit gives you insight and says that Paul saw that this man had faith to be healed. So Paul is spiritually empowered to see this guy and see the fact that he has faith not just any faith, not that just, hey, Paul, that's a really good message. It is, I, you have the words I need. And he is intent, and he can see into the soul. And the Holy Spirit says, this guy has got faith to be healed. Faith is often connected to healing. And sometimes the healer doesn't readily recognize that faith as was the case with Jesus and the woman who had the issue of blood. You remember the account? Jesus moving through the crowd and a woman touches him. And he says, hold, stop. Somebody touched me. The disciples go, okay, Jesus, you're nuts. Everybody's touching you. And it was a woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years. And she said, if I can only touch the hem of his garment, then I will be healed. In fact, the account in Luke 8, 47, 48 says this. When the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling and fell down on him and declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, note, daughter, your faith has what? Made you well. Go in peace. There is a connection between our faith, and the divine work of God. I don't get it. I don't think I ever will. It's above my pay grade. The reality is, we demonstrate faith, which connects us to the heart of God, and then the heart of God works. This man was connected by faith. And you say, well, how is he connected by faith? And i got to tell you, it is not faith in faith. Faith always has to have an object. The object is God. How do I know about God? The Word of God. It's not random faith. Romans 10, verse 7, 17 says this. So faith comes by hearing, step one, hearing by the Word of Christ, step two. How do I get faith? I want faith. You want faith? Get into God's Word. Get into God's Word and hear from God speaking to your heart to grow that faith. 
Paul was preaching the Word of God. At this time, you'll see a phrase called the Word of Grace. That's another phrase for the Gospel. Two Gentiles. This is something he had never heard of, and he is hearing the Word. And he says, I want to know that God. Paul looks at him and says he has faith to be healed, and he does something amazing. And apart from the empowerment and the leading of the Holy Spirit, I would never do this. But he tells this guy who has never walked with an order, stand up. Okay, the order was given. How did the man demonstrate faith? He stood up. Did he just stand up a little bit, like a deer on ice? No, the Bible says he jumped up. Now, there had to have been a cognitive connection with his mind, with the heart of faith that connected with his body that said, jump up. And he jumped up. He acted on the words of Paul by faith. And he stood and was healed and was leaping. If you've ever seen anybody get knee replacements, hip replacements, or anything like that, or you watched a little child try to figure out how to walk, that doesn't have, this guy has never walked. And he was jumping up and down. This was so amazing that the crowd in verses 11 to 14 see Paul do this, and they see that it is just amazing. They said, the gods are among us. What's interesting in here is embedded is this concept, even in paganism, of what we would call incarnation. Even the paganists would believe and say there could be a deity that would take on the image of humanity and walk among us. Oh, guess what? We have a connection. But Paul says, I'm not going to talk about Jesus because you're not going to get the concept of Jesus because you're not Jewish. So Paul preaches from what's known as general revelation. What's general revelation? Let's start in Genesis. You talk about the gods, Zeus and Hermes and all these gods that create all these things. I want to talk to you about the real creator. You worship dead gods. I'm going to talk to you about the living God. The living God that created the heavens and the earth. You have many gods. I want to talk to you about one God, monotheism. The foundation of faith. We know in Deuteronomy 6.4, the, the Shema, which was the Jewish, the Jewish prayer, he says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Now, all these people, all these people are crying out, these are the gods. What's interesting is we read in here where Paul and Barnabas see that they're being worshipped gods and they yelled and they screamed. In fact, the priest of Zeus who had the temple outside of the city comes running in and says, I want to kill this ox. It's sacrifice to you guys. Paul and Barnabas, they tear their cloaks, which is a sign of despair, like, don't. Stop. And they try to stop him. Do you remember what we studied in Acts 12 about Herod Antipas when the crowd worshipped him for his great sayings? And he stood up with his shiny robe and he didn't stop the people from worshipping him. What happened? God struck him down dead and he was eaten up by worms. This would have been blasphemy. Paul and Barnabas say, stop. We're not going to do this. We're not going there. So he starts to preach from a position of general revelation. He understands that to accept worship as God is the original sin. 
Isaiah 14, and you can look at it later, Isaiah 14 talks about how Satan says, I will be like the Most High. I will raise my throne above the heavens, and so on. Paul knew his lane. His lane was an evangelist. To share the gospel of truth to people that were in darkness. And in Deuteronomy, he says, "Here we, we know that hero Israel, there's only one God, and, and He's the creator of the universe. And then he goes on and he says, and God was patient. Notice what he says. That God in His patience allowed you to wander. Why? Because you didn't know. Oftentimes I go out as a chaplain and, and serve people that have suffered loss. And one of the things that I've really come to terms with is when you're talking with somebody that's grieving and you ask them, you say, well, is there anything else I can do for you? And they give you that deer in the headlight look. It's because they don't know. You don't know what you don't know. And, and these guys didn't know anything about God. When you're evangelizing somebody who doesn't know anything about God, the best place to start is general revelation. Who do you think created all of this? And let's start there. And this God that created everything in His patience and kindness has been giving rain and sunshine and provided for you the same way He does for believers. Why? Because God is patient and waiting and wants to reveal His kindness to you. And there is this, this place where God tolerates ignorance. Why? Because you don't know. And God will tolerate ignorance up until the point that you tell somebody about Him. And now you're accountable. So when we share the Gospel, we're introducing them to God the Creator. But once they know, now they're accountable for what they know. Acts 17.30 says, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance... God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. Prior to Jesus coming, a lot of people didn't know what they didn't know. But now they know. If you hear the gospel, now you know. And understand this. God will hold you accountable for what you know. And He will judge you. But He's patient. And so in this, He's there and He's preaching to the crowds and and the crowds are listening to him. And they're coming to this place of understanding. And all of this, Paul is giving to them this great, great message. And then all of a sudden, the antagonists from Antioch, Pisidia, show up. And what do they do? And they'd gone to Iconium and brought those people. What did they do? They started poisoning the minds of the listeners. Don't listen to them. It's lies. They're deceiving you in all of these things. And they followed Paul around and they would continue to follow Paul around because they're antagonists and creating hardships. They turned the people in Lystra against Paul and then they stoned him in mob mentality. Drug him out of the city thinking he was dead. Now, this is not, when you think about stoning, this is not just like a little bit, I'm going to throw pebbles at you. They're throwing as rocks in hope of breaking bones and killing you. 
They dragged Paul outside of the city. The disciples that got saved in the city were all standing around. This would be freaky to me. What are we going to do with him? Now, why they didn't stone Barnabas, we don't know. We're not told. Only Paul got it. They thought Barnabas was Zeus. They thought Paul was Hermes. Paul is described by some, some extra-biblical information that, that is not in the Bible, but he's described as being a bug-eyed, unibrow, bow-legged, big-nosed, short, ugly man. I don't know. Maybe it's just because he was the speaker. They drug him out. Paul's laying there in a, in a heap. They're all standing around him. And then Paul's eyes open up. And then he gets up. It's like, this guy should have been dead. He gets up, and then he walks back into Lystra. Back to the city. Now, was Paul really dead? I don't know. Could he have been dead? Sure. Could have been raised back from the dead. We know that it was significant enough that he would struggle. Paul would speak about his stonings and such things in 2 Corinthians 11, 23-33. He would also make reference in his second letter to Timothy, and I'll read it to you. 2 Timothy 3, 10-12 says, Now following my teaching and conduct and purpose and faith and patience and love and perseverance, persecutions and sufferings, such as it happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, all the cities we've been talking about, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all, note, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be what? Persecuted. You will be persecuted. You say, well, Paul, that happened to you, yeah. Did he quit? No. No. He persevered in the hardships, and we're called to do that. And he goes back into the town of Lystra. Does he stay there? Thank you, may I have another? No. He heads to Derby. Now, if you notice on the map, Derby is just off to the west of the city. It's interesting, in, in the account in Derby, in verses 20b and 21a, Paul and Barnabas to get there, they evangelize. There, again, is no mention of a, of a synagogue there. It's a Roman colony. What you don't find there is persecution. And what you don't find there is hardship. And here's the cool thing about this. God is gracious, and He may allow you to get thumped in one city, but He may give you a break in the other. He gets the derby. A lot of people come to faith. And he, he, this is the furthest that he goes on this missionary trip. Here's the thing I wrestled with when I studied this on the map. Have you ever been on a, on a ride like Disneyland or something and you're in line and then there's always the exit that says, if you have motion sickness, you're pregnant, you got a bad back or whatever, take the exit, right? We call that the chicken exit. Derby is only 150 miles from Tarsus, Saul's hometown. And from Tarsus 
he could have gone very easily back to Antioch, Syria, where he started and been done with his mission trip. A safe passage home. You know what he does? He goes back through the cities that he had already been to in order to encourage the believers to let him know that he let them know that he wasn't quitting. To persevere under the hardships to encourage them. Why? Because these new believers saw the guy who taught them about Jesus and invited them to God saw him get his lunch handed to him and beaten and run out of town. And as a good shepherd, he comes back through and says, you're going to suffer hardship. It is going to be difficult. And through the rest of this, this passage all the way to 28, Paul does what a good shepherd does. He follows up with those people and says, don't give up. Don't quit. They threatened to stone me. I left. I had to get out. Next town, they did stone me, but God saved me. We went all the way to Derby and had a great, great ministry time. Now let's come back. And what does he say? What happens? He does three things. He encourages and strengthens the believers at every one of those towns. All the way back to Antioch, the city. And then all the way down. Retraces it. He spends time discipling them even more. And he establishes elders and leaders in those towns. Why? So they would be an autonomous church. Paul never intended to run a massive megachurch from Antioch, Syria. Nor was the church ever intended to be a massive megachurch from Jerusalem. So he looked for those leaders that would be there. And encouraged them. And he would go all the way back to Antioch, Pisidia. Understand this. In this world, you will have tribulation. In this world, you will have hardships. As a Christ follower, it will seem like the world is coming down around you and on top of you. Don't quit. Don't give up. If you feel like you have a target on your back, you do. And if it feels like the world is against you, it is. But understand this, your God is greater than the world. And God has called you for mission, for purpose, for evangelism. The kingdom of God and the path to the kingdom of God is through hardship. But no one knows hardship better than Jesus who died on the cross for you. And if you are going to share the glory of Christ, you'll also share in the cross of Christ. In whatever context that looks like in your world. No cross, no glory. But we follow after Jesus. And in the end, we'll hear, well done, good and faithful servant, enter in. That's what you want to hear. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you've given us this hope of glory, that you've given us this opportunity of faith. Lord, to be able to stand firm and stand fast, even in these hardships. Lord, may we continue to lean into You. To lean into Your hands. And when times become so difficult and overwhelming, 
and we feel like, like that we can't go forward, may we put our faith and trust in you to lead us and guide us and protect us. May we declare this truth even now as we close with this song. May this song be our prayer and a dedication of our heart. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand. thank you that you are there for us, with us, and you hold us. And even when we stumble, you're there to pick us up. God, in those times when we feel the weight of this world and the oppression that's around us that is so great, may we even feel that much more your power and your presence that will move us. Holy Spirit, guide us throughout our day and throughout our lives. And as we go out into this world, may we lean on you. Persevere through hardship and bring people and lead others into the kingdom of God. We thank you and we praise you for our time. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. And praise Jesus. Have a blessed day. Thanks for joining us in the study of God's Word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 630 p.m.
Warren Community Fellowship is located at 56523 Columbia River Highway in Warren, Oregon, between Scappoose and St. Helens. For more information about Warren Community Fellowship or about WCF Ministries, call us at 503-397-4387. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.